Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I have to say, every time we do a live stream, it always barely comes together. And today was no exception. Um, I was telling you guys just before hitting record here that I was feeling really good before this live stream. It's not usually how we do things, right? So I get a little bit nervous about the setup and it's a lot of different software and things that we use. And, you know, I'm not really good with like overlays and stuff actively while we're streaming. Anyways, uh, we knew for this podcast uh, or for this live stream that uh, Evan had a golf tournament, which, you know, usually we begrudge Evan for when uh, golf takes priority in his life. But this is the NHL. They didn't tell us about the start time for the draft lottery until literally less than 24 hours before the actual draft lottery. And golfers have their stuff booked like six years in advance. So fair play. Um, and so we were ready to rock. I had all the stuff set up for Evan to join later on, just Brad and I to start out. <laughs> and then Brad calls me, he FaceTimes me and he's grinning ear to ear. And I just, I think my first words were, oh shit. <laughs> and Brad says, don't be mad. <laughs> you want to tell him what I shouldn't have been mad at, Brad? And for for the record, I'm not an asshole. I was not mad at this. I could not have been mad at this. It was just like, of course. So so I FaceTimed him just because I wanted, you know, the proof of incident. Um, so I FaceTimed him from work and I just hold up my hand with this blood-soaked gauze over my finger because I had just... <laughs> ripped off my fingerprint on my index finger just slicing boxes at work and uh one got away from me and i'm like yeah that's that's gonna need some stitches and this happened at 4 30 we were gonna be on the live stream at 6 30 and like ryan said he was prepared he was all going so i have two hours to get there to get to a clinic to get stitched up to get back to my house and to make it in time for the live stream. I was 10 minutes late. Evan, I'm not kidding. I think we need to wrap this guy in bubble wrap. Like the whole family. Yeah, all of them. A lot of things happen to me, but to be fair, it almost never prevents me from doing anything. I still do the dumb shit afterwards. Oh, Brad, learning a lesson? No, absolutely not. No. Oh, man. God, no. The draft lottery yet, is done. Bang, go figure. This is like, I do a lot of dumb shit in my life. So, of course, this happens doing the most mundane thing imaginable at my job. Like, literally breaking down a skid of a shipment that just came in. Literally the most boring part of my job. And this happens. Speaking of boring, the draft lottery is done. The Red Wings are picking sixth overall, which means they actually didn't move down for the first time ever. Uh, which is, on balance, pretty good news. If you and wanted to be a prick about it, you could point out that Seattle technically bumped them down a spot. <laughs> I always counted that as, uh, I in my mind, I thought that counted as moving down. Like I used to count the Vegas bumping them down in 2017 as well, but people got on my back about it. And I guess it's technically correct that they did come in with the six best odds and that's the pick that they got. Anyhow, uh, we're here um evan believe it or not the giveaway one of the giveaways we ran during the live stream i told everyone you were golfing nine today and i said the first two people to guess your score correctly win t-shirts so tell us how did your round go today well 
my uh, my practice session before to warm up was very good. I only hit three drivers because it was so good. I was eight over through nine holes. Which is? A 44. 44. Okay. I'm going to find the first two people who commented 44 and you win Winged Wheel Podcast t-shirts. Uh, the other one was guess the top two um teams in the draft which obviously were buffalo and then seattle so you guys will win uh, elsewhere i think uh that is one of my favorite giveaways that we've done the other one would be guess the exact time that evan appears that evan uh, gets there for the live stream when we used to do them in brad's living room i thought that was really fun it was uh that was kind of a free-for-all. Anyhow, uh, we're all here now. We're here to record the post-draft lottery episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned in uh, to the live stream. I think we had over 3,500 of you come through, fifteen or 1,600 at one point. I'm not sure. Um, it's such a blast when we do it, and, and we appreciate everyone who came and, and liked the video and subscribed to the channel as well. So um, appreciate you. And, of course, how could I uh, forget? I should have led with this. Big, big, big shout-out to Prashanth Iyer, uh, who jumped on the the live stream. He was planning on crashing the chat, as he usually does. And I messaged him, and I was like, hey, uh, one, do you want to join the live stream just because that'd be fun? And two, uh, Brad's going to be late, so... That would be pretty sweet. Uh, and he, with very little notice, he got on there and he talked uh, draft lottery and, and rankings with us, which was uh, good fun. So um, shout out to Prashanth and shout out to Rowan for canceling Wings for Breakfast so he could free up uh, Prashanth's um, contract to join our live stream. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay. Welcome to the Wing Wheel Podcast. Ryan Hanna. That's me. Sorry about that. I'm mostly Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. And I'm Evan. Um, okay, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Pack Podcast, we're going to be reviewing what happened in the draft lottery, what this means for the Red Wings and their sixth overall pick. Uh, we'll be chatting a little bit about what Eisman said in his press conference afterwards. Uh, we'll do a update on the playoffs um, and then our draft prospect profile for this episode, which will be none other than William Eklund. Honestly... I was shocked. I was extremely, extremely shocked to see them not come seventh. I thought for sure it would be seventh. That was the most likely pick. After you factored in Arizona, it was like 42% as opposed to 32 or something like that for for uh, six overall, 32 or 37. Um, so not moving down. We moved down the previous four years. We didn't move down this year. Does that mean 2022 and 2023 the Red Wings move up? No. Thanks, Brad. Much appreciated, buddy. <laughs> I still hate the draft lottery. I don't even if the Red Wings had won today, I would still hate the draft lottery. Just I've beaten this horse to death, so I'm not getting into the myriad of reasons why. You know, everybody thought my blood sacrifice today would have been enough to get us first or second pick. I guess it wasn't enough. So uh, I mean, next year one of us has to lop off a hand uh for Shane Wright. Um I I took the dive this year, so I'm going to leave that up to one of you two guys next year because apparently my blood isn't worth shit to the NHL so or the hockey gods. I think someone had it right in the chat. You should have gotten rid of the whole finger if you actually wanted to win. If you just cut it open and then stitch it up, then that just means they don't move down. That tracks to me. You got to save it. You got to save the finger for an important draft. You don't just lop it off for Owen Power or Matt Beneers or whoever. That That's a Shane Wright type move. 
All right. Two years from now, we'll be calling you No Thumb Crisco, and we'll have Wright and either Michkov or Bedard locked up. No, I did my part this year. It's uh, One of you two guys are, are losing a finger next year. Well, you know it's going to be me. Evan has a future on the uh, the senior tour in the PGA, so my hands are the least worthwhile. Bullshit. <laughs> All right. Uh, six overall, initial reactions, feelings, thoughts, rude remarks. Better than expected. Um, statistically, seventh overall was our most likely pick, so I, I took anything above that as a win which includes sixth overall. So it's it's as little of a win as the NHL would give us, but I'll take it. Uh, the teams that won the draft lottery, I do not hate. So that is A+. plus. Seattle will be super interesting because we get to have them picking second overall with the concept of best player available. They don't have a position yet on the team, so they can draft who the hell ever they want with uh, zero regard for positionality. Buffalo is a tortured fan base. They get first overall the organization doesn't deserve shit but hockey's not for the organizations it's for the fans so happy for the people of buffalo that they get to enjoy this before the sabers inevitably ruin this prospect or force them out of town and then uh yeah from detroit standpoint again looking at the more and more i hammer down on my rankings the more and more i see a very clear top six to seven in this draft i know not everybody agrees on on this and we'll talk about that later but from my perspective, this is a fantastic spot to land, especially considering guys I don't have in my top six are projected ahead of Detroit's pick in a lot of the consensus rankings. So overall, I, I'm pretty happy the way this worked out, just because I think the Red Wings are still going to be able to take a real big swing at six and get a very valuable player to the rebuild. Yeah, the way I see it is this was obviously the best possible result short of the Red Wings winning in the draft lottery, which they just don't do. We know for a fact that they don't do. Um, 32.1% chance uh, of six overall as opposed to 37.7% chance of, uh, or sorry, 32.1 of six as opposed to 42.6 at seventh overall. Once you factor in Arizona not technically being able to pick in that spot or in the winner spot. So, um, it was not the most likely pick for them, which is good news because in the past, that's what they've gotten. Um, of course, it would have been better to land the top two. We've, we said it on the stream. Don't be disillusioned by the fact that this isn't a, uh, you know, apparently a, a strong draft lottery. No matter how strong the draft class is, you always want the option to choose whoever the hell you want. But. Six is still great. The Red Wings have pulled Zadina. The Red Wings have pulled Mo Sider from the spots. It's the prophetic spot of the, the Red Wings, the third time in the last however many years that they've picked there. And like you mentioned, Brad, so many guys are going to be in the mix. Chances are if you pick two players that you love outside of like Power and Beneers, they're going to be – one of them is going to be available at six. That's just the way this draft is going to shake out. So de- depending – what the Red Wings do, because as I mentioned on the live stream, this draft is wide open, chaotic, th- crazy things are going to happen. It's silly season. The Red Wings might go way off the consensus board. I mean, they did it two years ago um, with Mo Sider, so it, it wouldn't be crazy. Other teams ahead of them might do a bunch of weird stuff. So keeping that in mind, but what I think is likely going to happen, I think might benefit the Red Wings in a way. Again, it would have been better to have one or two to control your destiny, but I think a lot of the quote-unquote safer picks are going to go ahead and are going to go early 
And I, I think the Red Wings are going to be in a position to take a home run swing at the higher upside guys that are a little riskier um, going into it. So, you know, is a Kent Johnson going to go first overall? No, probably not. But is there a reality where he's the best player out of this draft? Yeah, there's a pretty decent reality that that could happen. And he's probably going to be available at the Red Wings pick. So, you know, it's not all doom and gloom that we didn't win. There's going to be good players there. It might force Detroit to go with the upside picks versus the quote unquote safe picks. Um, So maybe long term could be a blessing in disguise. Not likely, but I don't think it's entirely out of the question. Like you look at previous drafts that were viewed on the same plane as this one in terms of lacking at the high end and not the deepest draft in the world. And in those, most of those drafts, the best players did not come out of the top two picks. Like you look at, uh, what was it? 2012, um, where Philip Forsberg was 10th overall. He was probably the best player in that draft. Morgan Riley at five, the best defenseman. Um, what's another good, there's another good one. 2017, um, best players in that draft were picks three, four, and five. And then, you know, Nick Suzuki at 11. So was he 11? Somewhere around there. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. It was after Rasmussen. That's all I remember. <laughs> but, uh, so teams tend to err on the side of caution in drafts like this, and that could play in the Red Wings favor. Evan, your initial reaction on seeing the no drop and staying at six. Somewhat surprised because we're used to disappointment at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so getting six this year kind of feels like a win. Maybe we've been conditioned to just accept mediocrity and just always picking six. I don't know. Oh, God. Yeah. Like six feels good. I, I think this is the draft where being sixth is okay because there's going to be some wild stuff. Well, maybe there's not going to be wild stuff that happens, but it just feels like this is the year where there's going to be some weird picks. And there's going to be a couple guys available that people are really excited for. And I don't even know if the Red Wings will take them. Brad, something you said that piqued my interest was maybe you, you implied that the, maybe the Red Wings would be forced to take a bigger risk but higher upside player. Because the way I've been approaching this draft in the rankings has been I almost want the safer picks. And the safer picks don't mean lower ceiling necessarily, but you know – I don't think there's a lot of conversation about Beniers being a top 15 center in the NHL, but there is a lot of conversation saying if he's one of your top two centers, that is really, really good. Uh, and that's what attracted me about Beniers. Owen Power, obviously, I think it, for good reason is is hovering up there in the number one or two pick. But you look at guys like Eklund with the world of skill he has and, and Kent Johnson, like you said, where he might not be the type favorite you know, coach or GM's type of player to draft, but if he hits, he'll hit in a big way. Maybe it, it could be a blessing where all the safe picks are off the board and you have to kind of go with more of an unknown because something we've talked about leading up to this draft and people shouldn't forget, there is not a lot of viewing on these prospects. So the the degree of certainty for this draft is through the floor relative to other years. So a player could be a bigger risk just because we don't know any better, not because their actual style of play or development is risky inherently. So, yeah, I think you're right, Evan. If there's going to be a year where you're going to be picking lower and it's good, I think this year is it. So six, I'm perfectly fine with. Yeah, because you look at players that in a lot of the rankings are in the top five are the guys who aren't necessarily the flashiest players, but they have 
the toolkits that you know are transferable. Owen Power, huge, mobile, can skate, good defender, makes a ton of sense. Matt Beneers, 200-foot player, can skate like the wind, good transferable skills. Luke Hughes, same thing, good skater, etc. Uh, Simon Edvidson, big defenseman, good skater. These are guys who are in the top five, six of most of the rankings. So it makes sense if these are possibly the first four off the off the board. And if they're all gone by Detroit's pick, you're looking at like Brant Clark, who's probably the best offensive defenseman in this draft. Really wonky scra- skating stride that's going to scare a lot of teams off. Kent Johnson, probably the most skilled player in this draft. But, you know, as with a lot of high-end offensive players, he comes with his warts on the other side of the puck. Um, William Eklund, you know, great skater, uh, but what's his ultimate upside to these teams? Um, smaller forward. And, you know, there's going to be a, a number of players who are going to fit that bill and at least one or two of them are for sure going to be available at the Red Wings pick. So, you know, if the, the projectables are gone and, and you have to take a really high skill guy that's got a really big question mark in his game. Well, if that player works out that question mark, you're a home run. Like right now, if we told everybody Kent Johnson was a, a well-rounded, complete 200-foot player with the skill set he has, he's going first overall. If someone told me, I can fix Brant Clark's skating stride tomorrow, he's going first overall. Like someone said, I'm going to make William Eklund grow three inches tomorrow. He's probably going first overall. But because of those question marks, they have a very strong chance of falling in this draft. And that's, that is the favor. Uh, that is what's in Detroit's favor here because of the pandemic and the limited viewings. And, you know, these guys that I mentioned specifically outside of Brand Clark got a very healthy amount of games in. So it's not complete unknowns, but there weren't as many viewings as there normally were. There weren't in-person viewings like there normally were with all these guys. So, yeah, teams are going to go with what they're comfortable with this year more than ever, and they already tend to do that in a normal year. So the overall draft order in the first round going reverse from 15, moving up to one 15th overall New York Rangers, 14th Dallas Stars, 13th Philadelphia Flyers, 12th Calgary Flames, 11th Chicago Blackhawks, 10th Ottawa Senators, 9th Vancouver Canucks, 8th Los Angeles Kings, 7th San Jose Sharks, 6th your Detroit Red Wings, uh, 5th Columbus Blue Jackets, 4th New Jersey Devils, 3rd Anaheim Ducks, 2nd Seattle Kraken, and 1st Buffalo Sabres. I have two thoughts there before we move forward. Uh, first, good for Seattle. I think it's great for an expansion team to have uh, a top two pick. It was cool for them to, you know, win something already. Um, that'll be great for them to a, to be able to name a face of the franchise right off the bat. Uh, and second point here, very clearly the rules that the hockey gods have laid out is whoever Taylor Hall starts the season playing for is who is going to win the following draft lottery. So with all of Detroit's cap space, this summer, Steve Eisman should sign Taylor Hall to a two-year max dollar contract. It's not even a meme at this point. Just do it. <laughs> it is unbelievable the effect Taylor Hall has, even if he's not with that team anymore. Because Buffalo couldn't use the uh, – Buffalo. Boston couldn't use the draft lottery luck. So Buffalo's like, hey, we'll keep it. We'll use it. Why not? Although I am a little salty that this – is the year the bottom teams win the draft lottery. This is the year where there's only two lottery spots and two of the bottom three slotted teams get it. This is some bullshit. 
Well, uh, of course it was going to shake out that way, but for all of you who are hoping to save the Red Wings luck for next year, thank you. And hopefully we are right in 2022. I didn't even mean to make that pun. Look at that. Um, okay. Let's look at a consensus rankings list. And Brad, this is something that you put together across several different sources to create an average ranking for the top five players. So I'm going to name five players for you guys. And these are five players that you cannot draft with the sixth overall pick, hypothetically. Owen Power, Matt Beneers, Brant Clark, Luke Hughes, Dylan Genther. Those are the top five. You cannot draft any of those first five. You were Steve Eisenman going to the podium. Who are you selecting sixth overall? So one thing I want to note first is that Dylan Genther and William Eklund actually in the averaging uh, ended in a tie. So Genther just got the fifth spot because so in that scenario, William Eklund, hands down, that that would not even be a thought in my head. I'd be sprinting up for William Eklund. If not Eklund, my next choice would probably be Kent Johnson. Why are you taking Eklund so emphatically? So we're, I'm not giving away the prospect profile yet, Ryan. (laughs) Nice try. (laughs) Nice try. You don't get the teaser, but I'm taking Eklund in this if this is how the draft breaks down. Evan, where are you landing on this? I was going to say Kent Johnson based on that list. Um, and then one of my outside picks would be Fabian Lysel. And if we're getting really crazy, I'll go Mason McTavish. Oh, you go Mason McTavish maybe that high if you were getting If nuts. we're getting really crazy. Yeah. I'm tempted by Eklund, and this is something I mentioned on the stream is, is do you kind of look away from best player available here uh, if you're considering positions of need? Eklund is projecting a little bit more to play on the wing, and that's totally fine, but the Red Wings have so much talent coming up through the wings. They need, need, need someone playing behind Larkin. I'm wondering if it's not the, the the swing of the bat with Kent Johnson here. He's a Michigan kid. They'll know him well. Uh, his talent is through the roof. His puck handling is incredible. He has a long way to come. Uh, I don't think he's the, the, the best skater in the world, and I don't think he has the pace of play that'll scream, you know, pick me to Steve Eisenman, but I don't know. If that guy comes through and, and you have him playing behind Larkin on the depth chart, I'm not mad about that at all. Well, it depends who you talk to because I really love Kent Johnson as a player. And based on his toolkit, I'm absolutely considering him in this spot. Like for me, the two considerations, if this is how it went down, would be Eklund and Johnson. Most people I talk to and most scouts that I read, they project Johnson as a winger in the NHL. They don't think he's a, a center in the NHL. Now, you never say never, but... Eklund, people say, could also be a center in the NHL. So I don't think there's any positional certainty with either of them. If we're going to go on their skill sets, who do I think between the two of them is more likely to be a successful NHL center? It's Eklund, even though he's played it less than Johnson, just because he is faster and he has a little more compete. So he fits that mold of an NHL center a little better than Johnson does, but I don't foresee either of them being a center at the NHL level. And based on how this draft is likely going to shake down, I don't think the Red Wings are going to have the luxury of being able to pick someone at a direct uh, positional need unless they reach, unless you're really big on Simon Edvinson, which I know a lot of people are. I'm not. 
I have him in my top 10, so it's not crazy far off. But um, yeah, I, I think this is going to just have to be a, hey, who do you think is going to hit and just take that guy? <laughs> you want to know who my my uh, crazy outside pick is akin to Evans Lysel? Logan Stankovan. Jesper Wallstedt. <laughs> we just did a whole episode on this, Ryan. No, I, stop. I know. Stevie himself said no. We're going to get into that in a second. No, but seriously, I, I was talking to Nick about this. We say best player available a lot, and it's akin to what Evan said. If your scouts are banging their fists on the table about Wallstedt, and I have no idea if the Red Wing scouts are. I have no read on that, admittedly. But if they are, and Wallstedt is going to be, you know, a top 10 goalie in this league, I'm taking that six overall. Or I'm at least strongly considering it if I'm not in love with any of the guys at six. So maybe this is a good time to transition into Eisman's press conference uh, after the draft lottery. Um, not obviously, not a ton was said there. You know, the usual stuff. He's not going to lose sleep over not winning this lottery, but noted how good it is to be lucky and hopefully they get that in the future, which means 2022 and 2023, please, 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 hockey gods, please. The Red Wings could just win one of them and that would be great. Um, but for now, there's a ton of guys there and, and Eisenman noted that this is going to be a year where there is an absolutely amazing amount of uncertainty and people are going to be surprised with how it shakes out. And I think that's fair and I think everyone knew that even before Eisenman said it. Um, something that was sent to us on Twitter that was kind of a, a comment that was missed. Max actually asked Steve about the uh, strength of this draft class and Eisman had a, a full answer about it. And he was kind of talking about top tens and he didn't really say it explicitly, but he kind of suggests suggested that there weren't any goalies maybe in the top 10. He kind of said, uh, I don't know, maybe like it was very non-committal, and I th- it, there's a chance it was a throwaway line. It was a chance he meant it, but to me, that kind of read like maybe for now, and lots can change. Jesper Wallstedt isn't one of those guys who's really standing out in there, or they just haven't looked at him enough. Yeah, it was kind of a throwaway comment, which almost makes you want to read more into it because it's firmly entrenched in the back of his mind that it just comes out. But I don't, I don't think there's a lot to read into here, but I don't think it's nothing. I I say I don't think there's a lot to read into it because there's still lots of time for their top 10 list to change. I do get the impression that Stevie was being honest and that right now he doesn't have a goal in his top 10 list because the the quote that he said was basically along the lines of, he's like, we feel there's a lot of good uh, and variety of positions in the top 10, paused, maybe not goaltender, continued his statement and and he said it so casually which is kind of what threw me off but he said it and and i mean we can't take absolutely nothing from it there's something we should take from it because if he's being true to his word and in the full context of that statement he doesn't have wallstead in his top 10 so given that the red wings are picking six i i don't think that's the most likely pick right now and again lots of time for it to change. So I'm not saying this is going to happen for sure, but, you know, music to my ears, but I know a lot of Red Wings fans are going to be pissed. <laughs> Just so people really know not to read too much or I don't know how much to read into it. I'm going to play it. I'm going to do that shitty hold your phone up to the mic thing. I'm not sorry. A pretty good prospect and, you know, go from there. So 
And they're all different positions, um, potentially all different positions, maybe not goaltenders. I don't know. Um, so anyway, it's, 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 so I don't know. I don't it's know. It's not a, basically it's not a lot, but it's not nothing. I have a hard time believing that they haven't looked at every single player in the top 10. Like Steve's not at the point where he's just now sitting down with his, with Draper and the amateur scouting team, but I also am struggling to think that they are not rating Wallstead top 10 in talent. And I think a lot of this is dependent on the context in which he's answering the question. And also like, you know, maybe he's playing games and also maybe he just didn't think about it. Maybe he was just talking about only one goalie instead of two. You know, it's, I am, I hesitate to latch onto it too much, but I agree, Brad, that it's not nothing. So I'm curious to see which direction that goes in. We're going to move back to the draft uh, after this next topic. Um, we're going to talk about William Eklund's NHL draft prospect profile. But that is it. The Red Wings are drafting six overall. Um, altogether, my heart rate did not peak like it did during last year's draft lottery. Um, I'm sure that's going to be a different case next year. I, I got to say, my approach today of waking up, choosing violence, embracing the worst, and preparing to be angry – and then being pleasantly surprised by not winning anything, but also not losing anything, really, really helped mentally. Gotta say, it was a good strategy. Do recommend. Evan, did you see Brad on a rampage today on Twitter? Of course I didn't. <laughs> you were lucky. I watched him I'm like, oh my God, I can hear the steam coming out of his ears and this man just woke up. <laughs> I knew it was going to be a bad day. So like I said, everything, everything above the bare minimum expectation feels like a big win. And like I said, it worked. Um, King of no free ads. I just took a sip of a, uh, a, a iced tea drink. I'm not going to name the company. Actually, I will for the sake of the story. This, this is not related at all to hockey. Um, I posted a picture for the first time in like six years on Instagram, as one does. And uh, I had a twisted tea in my hand. And uh, my friend was like, is this a twisted tea ad? And I clicked the Twisted Tea profile, and they have me blocked. (laughs) (laughs) That's very strange. I don't think I've ever interacted with Twisted Tea on social media ever. And I was just like, I laughed at first, and I was like, hey, fuck you, Twisted Tea. I never did anything to you. I'm drinking your tea. You just got to – I'm going to cover it every time I take a sip. You're not getting free ads on this podcast. Don't drink Twisted Tea until they unblock me. That is our new – that's our anti-ad. Pay us to – to have me stop saying that. Actually, I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Okay. Uh, things to laugh at. Holy shit, the Toronto Maple Leafs. I can't actually believe this happened again. Like, it's it's insane to me because... And I think, I think Steve, uh, in one of his videos in between the screaming... Brought up a really good point. Look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. If you were Kyle Dubas knowing the outcome of the season, what do you change about this team? Like, my answer, like, he had, the, he came to the right conclusion. Nothing. This team should have won. Hands down. This team was the better team for a majority of the series. And the crazy thing is they didn't even get goalied. Like, Jack Campbell's save percentage was right up there with Carey Price's. So this wasn't Carey Price just laying the iron hammer down and saying, yep, nope, nobody's nobody's getting past me. 
Toronto played better. Jack Campbell played great. And Toronto still lost. Like, it's crazy. I, you know, then the fan base is all over Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. And, and deservedly so. They had a, a pretty poor playoff performance. But, I mean, Matthews won the Rocket Richard. And Matt Marner was top five in league scoring. I mean, let's not forget. It took Steve Eiserman 14 years to win the Stanley Cup. Alex Ovechkin about the same. I mean... If Toronto wants to panic and blow it up, that's great for everybody else, but they're insane if they think that it's already time to throw in the towel on this core. It's just, I can't, I can't process what happened. Like, how do you not win one of three games against Montreal? Because you know the thing about Montreal? They're not good. And they didn't play that well for most of the series. And Toronto bodied them for most of the series. Games five and six went to overtime. After Montreal blew leads in both of those games. It's just absolutely crazy. I don't think it's this um, mysterious thing as to how they lost. You said it, Brad. The the Leafs beat themselves. And I'm going to relate this back to the Wings in a second here in a very real way. And I, I, I don't think I'm stretching. But just for a second, Marners and Matthews deserve the blame. I, like they do deserve blame. Yeah, they were bad. I, I agree that there's not much I would change about this team because I think with some better luck, yeah, things go your way. But you know what else would help things going your way? If you're the one of the best players on the team and one of the best wingers in the league, you know, don't give up your body to make the play because otherwise you're taking a stupid delay game penalty or not winning any puck battles and nothing is going to change because the Montreal Canadiens, when they're defending Mitch Marner, aren't going to be doing anything other than locking him down. They're not worried about offense while he's on the ice. But for themselves, but if they can shut him down, that's a win for that shift. And that's what they did the entire series. Yeah, losing Tavares sucks, but shit, man. Like he wasn't the biggest impact player on that team like he might have been in the past. And with that amount of talent, there's no excuse. Montreal played better playoff hockey. That's not like old head boomer speak. Like Montreal played better playoff hockey. They buckled down. Toronto got outplayed at, uh, in terms of its top players being shut down. They got outcoached. I have no idea what Keith was doing. It was just like the definition of insanity out there. It was, yeah, I can understand how the team that good, that good shouldn't have lost, but when they were doing what they were doing and not changing a thing about it, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. But But here's the mystifying part to me. They outplayed Montreal for six of seven games. So what they were doing was working to a pretty large extent. <laughs> like Again, this is what I can't understand. If you outplay a team, but you get goalied and you lose, it sucks, but shit happens. Everybody understands that. If you outplay a team and your goalie keeps pace and you still lose... Like, what do you do there? You can't tell me Montreal was the better team that series. You can't. Like, Austin Matthews shot 3%. And Mitch Marner shot 0 They both had chances. They weren't at their regular season pace, but they were generating chances. You think Austin Matthews plays another seven games against Montreal and shoots 3%? No, of course not. Like, I... I mentioned it in the last episode as I kind of hoped this happened though. And um, Reese Jessup, who we've had on the podcast before, had the perfect tweet. He's like, I really want Montreal to be Toronto here because it's going to teach both teams the wrongest of lessons. And it does because Montreal is still not a good team, even though I think they're beating Winnipeg right now. But they're not a, I'm going to say they're not a legit contender and then they're going to go to the finals because that's how this shit works. 
If Toronto comes back with the exact same team next year, I think they win the division again. Unless, well, I mean, Tampa might have something to say about that going back to the new divisions, but they'll be right there. I mean, it's it's hard to say preach patience in a market like Toronto. But again, Steve Eiserman was drafted in 1983 by the Detroit Red Wings, did not win a Stanley Cup until 1997. There was a point in the mid-90s where Steve Eiserman was a hair away from being an Ottawa Senator and Alexei Yashin at Detroit Red Wings. Look it up. That's not bullshit, but we don't want to talk about it. Um, Evan, we need to preserve uh, Brad's blood flow here. I think he's an open wound, so why don't you jump in? <laughs> yeah, go for it. But I'm just saying, patience is the method for Toronto here. Well, I hope uh, is is the boomer window closed? I don't know. Um, for me, Montreal was just good enough, and they got the job done. Like, I thought Corey Perry was excellent. Like, he's barely pace out there, but he does what he's got to do to get the job done. Like, um. I thought the young kids from Montreal were good, and I obviously Carey Price was Carey Price. Like I didn't think that they were that great, but they played a total team game, and they, you know, one turnover by Galchenyuk, a bad spinorama giveaway by Dermot, and it's in the back of their net, and they win the games. Like they don't have to be good; they just have to win. And I think Montreal was did that, and. uh you know, I could kind of feel the the warmth and the, I could see the glow from Toronto burning down. <laughs> so it was interesting. But um, the, the CN Tower really was the world's biggest candle. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of like what Toronto does going forward, you know, I, I've, I feel one way myself. And then I just don't know what the Leafs will do because there's obviously a lot of pressure in Toronto. I think they got to keep it as is for now and right the ship with some pieces and just push the needle that way with with some um secondary pieces like nick robertson coming up will will help for sure but they just need to kind of vibrate you know they don't need to go crazy they they don't need to blow it up they just need to make a few small pieces uh changes but with that being said i do definitely do do enjoy the leafs losing again um as is tradition. Yeah, and I just, I you know, William Nylander was excellent as well. Like, Toronto had yeah. a lot going right, right for them. If I, if you would have told me Jack Campbell had a better save, would have a better save percentage than Carey Price, I would have laughed at you. But he played well. He just... He coupled... didn't have a better save percentage. He was close. Okay, close enough. Um, but I think he did at one point, but yeah. Um like Toronto had some good things going for them, but they need the big dogs to to do their thing. Like nobody's asking if Kucherov is goalless. No one's asking if McKinnon is going to score these playoffs. Rantanen just broke the all-time point streak in the playoffs for the Avalanche. Like your big dogs got to got to do what they got to do every single night, and that's why they get paid the big bucks. So for me, it falls squarely on Matthews and Marner. They just weren't good enough. So, Eisenman has talked a lot about 
wanting a specific kind of player in the drafts. And that's not necessarily someone who plays a 200-foot game completely. He doesn't need everyone to be a 200-foot center, but he needs someone to work their ass off and come out to play for the Detroit Red Wings at 110% night in and night out. He wants guys who buy in. He wants guys who are heart and soul. They 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 do their best to improve, develop, and put the best product on the ice every single night. That's what Eisman wants. You couple that with what he's talked about and what Jeff Blashill has talked about with guys who have responsibilities across the ice. People might not necessarily agree all the time about making everyone a 200-foot player, us in this podcast included at points, but that's something that Eisman and Blashill agree about. They want people, they want guys who contribute at all ends of the ice in some way, some form. They buy in, they don't take a shift or a zone off. It's not always the sexiest product, but... If you consider the kind of effort Montreal was able to put out there to shut down those premier players, it to me sparks a lot of confidence in the eventual team that Eisenman is going to build if all of them are that kind of player who are are ready to, you know, hunker down and, you know, heads down, skate 100 miles an hour into the corners, win every battle. It's again, this is like boomer window talk here that Evan usually makes fun of, but that's playoff hockey. And Eisenman's looking to not, you know, create the most skilled or most talented team because that's often out of his control because of the draft lottery. But he wants to build a team that's ready to play playoff hockey. And that's that to me is a takeaway. It might be a stretch, but that's genuinely how I feel. And it makes me feel better about when the Red Wings get there, they'll be ready for it if that's a priority for them. I also thought Philip Deneau, even though he didn't have a single point, was very, very good that series in shutting down uh, the big line for against Toronto. That's all I wanted to add. Yeah. Yeah, he was good. But again, I, I know we talked about this at length last episode, so I won't get too much into it. I don't think it was an effort thing with Matthews and Marner. I think it just came down to they didn't adapt their game enough and find different ways to produce offense. And it seemed like the moment was too big for them and they panicked and they just mentally didn't have it and made bad plays at dumb times. So I, I don't think it's a give a shit level with either of them. It's it's just maturing. I know that's a stupid hockey cliche that I hate, hate using, but I think it applies here. They just they need to get a little more mature and play because I again next year if there's a rematch here, I don't expect the same outcome. I would expect Toronto to walk all over them, and they were and they were doing that for four games, and then a couple of OT losses, and here we are. Um, and, and it's funny too because Leaf fans they're, they're done. They're like as they should be. They haven't won a playoff round since. 2004 for god's sakes um although red wings fans can we can we agree to not join in on the stupidity here because i sarcastically sent out a joke during game seven after marner's giveaway that led to gallagher's goal i said robbie fabry and mark stall for mitch marner tomorrow who says no guys toronto says no those of you who are red wings fans and says detroit says no what <laughs> are, you, are you kidding <laughs> toronto says no not detroit <laughs> okay uh we'll move on here i'm sure Toronto's going to make some kind of wave this summer uh but in the meantime why don't we jump over to our nhl draft prospect profile for this episode which is none other than william eckland who might be a player that the red wings have available to them at sixth overall um Often considered to be a supremely talented, one of the most talented players in this draft. Um, ranking is kind of up and down the board. William Eklund out of Jurgarden in the SHL. Brad, take us away. 
Ah, Wild Bill, Mr. Give a Shit. Love, love Eklund, love this type of player. So late birthday, always feels like it's relevant to point that out. So William Eklund is the same age as Lucas Raymond. I want to point that out because William Eklund's production in the SHL this year was about on pace with Lucas Raymond's production in the SHL this year. So if you like Lucas Raymond, you have a lot of reasons to like William Eklund. And a lot of the reasons we like Lucas Raymond, you'll like William Eklund for high creativity in the offensive zone, plays with pace, plays fast, good skater, not a tremendous north-south north, skater. Not that that's a weakness. He's, he's plenty quick, but really, really good on his edges, really dangerous and shifty in the offensive zone. And he's a little different in than Raymond. Raymond's more that pure skill to make the play in the offensive zone, like just on another level. Eklund's more... I'm going to work the play into existence, but he has more than enough skill to execute the vision he has in his head. He just doesn't always find the most efficient path to do it like a Lucas Raymond does. It's not that he takes the least efficient route either, so don't take it that that's a weakness for him. I feel like if Eklund's there at six, this will be a no-brainer pick for Detroit because he checks every box for what Steve Eisenman looks for in a player. High compete, plays fast, super high hockey IQ. I mean, again, what's what's the knock on Eklund? He's smaller. Who cares? Uh, William Eklund is, in my opinion, a top three player in this draft. Poss- possibly the top player in this draft. So I'm not super optimistic he'll be there for Detroit at six, but if he is, he probably should be the pick. Yeah, my I don't have hesitations when it comes to to William Eklund. The downsides to his games, I, his game, I don't think is a an incredible downside that the Red Wings haven't considered for other viable candidate candidates with past picks. Um, I think his edge work is good enough to the point where I'm not so concerned about skating overall. I know some people have brought that up. My only real thing is the fact that he projects more as a winger. I just, I don't know. I can't get it out of my head that I would love to get a center out of this draft, but you're right, Brad, that if someone this talented does drop to six, I I do think it's among one of the no brainer picks, his offensive production, his creativity, the pace at which he, he makes these plays, the Red Wings would be adding another fantastic talent. And maybe counter to my my positional want here is that the Red Wings have a lot of talent coming through the wing, but there's not nothing to say that all of them are going to pan out. So too many cracks at the can here isn't necessarily a bad thing if you can't depend on each and every one of those guys to come through. Um, a little bit of an aside there. Yeah, I, I think Eklund is probably up there top two or three in terms of most skilled player in this draft and if you have that option at six overall you generally don't ignore it we were you know jumping up and down when Zadina fell to the Red Wings at six for much the same reason we thought his skill and talent level and ability to score was much outpaced his his draft spot so along that same vein yeah I, I think William Eklund would be a great get at that spot for the Red Wings well what else is there left to say The small grin before you did it, too. I, I moved I th- to just prevent th- Evan from talking in the prospect profiles between now and the draft. I Most thought denied. about not saying it. I was like, no, I need to stay on brand. You need the to- people require it, so I will bring it. <laughs> um, But no, seriously, you guys, you covered it all. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I the only other thing I would I would like to add is I think he could shoot a little bit more. Um because he does have a ridiculously good shot, and I think it's a little bit more deceptive than I originally thought it was, too. So um, he could be a good scorer or a good score point producer in the NHL. And he also looks like he's not afraid to mix it up and get involved in the scrums and, and stuff like that. Hopefully he doesn't jump on Tom Wilson's back. Um, so I, in terms of, you know, fit as a Red Wings prospect or a potential pick... I think this is as close as it's going to get. Like, if he's there at six, I'd be very shocked if they don't take him. Unless Wallstead's there. If, all right, Brad, hypothetical for you. If Kent Johnson, <laughs> I just realized what Evan said. If Kent Johnson and William Eklund are both there, but Kent Johnson, for one reason or another, is projecting more likely to play center and Eklund more likely to play wing, who do you take? It's hard, it's hard to say because talent-wise, they're both right there. These are probably the two most skilled players in the draft. Uh, I would say Eklund plays a more complete game than Johnson does. So I probably still go Eklund. Not that I'm super confident in that answer. But again, there's other ways here because get good players and the rest falls into place. Because, you know, if Larkin and Valeno are your your two centers. That's not ideal. And I understand that, but the Red Wings are in a position where if they draft Eklund, who are the four wingers surrounding those two? Lucas Raymond, Philip Zadina, Jonathan Bergeron, and William Eklund. I think you can make that work. I think that's a pretty damn good top six, just because the strength of those lines isn't coming from the centers. And let's not forget Dylan Larkin still really goddamn good. Um, you can absolutely make that work and your power plays would be lethal. Yeah, sure. You maybe get one five on five goal per game, but you end up winning every game five, three, cause you get four power play goals hypothetically. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, the thing with me is between Johnson and Eklund for what the Red Wings are, what the Red Wings are looking for in a player, William Eklund checks way more boxes. I shouldn't say way more. He checks all of the boxes in what the Red Wings want in a player and what they have shown they want in a player. They want compete, they want IQ, and they want skating. Check, check, check. No questions on any of those with William Eklund. So even though he's a winger, you know, if you put him on a line with Valeno and hypothetically Zadina, that's a line where you could very competently employ an F1, F2, F3 system where there is no true center. First guy back in the zone takes the role as a center, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which I'm to this day, I'm still amazed more teams don't do that, but you, there's ways to make that work. And, you know, it's the old rule of thumb, acquire good players. And if you have a glaring hole in your lineup and an excess at another spot, you can trade one of those players to fill the hole that you have in your lineup. So if you look at it from a pure asset management standpoint, take the best asset. Yeah. If you remove the want for a certain position and not to mention the Red Wings have another pick later in the first round, right? Like if there's a center that they really like, who's going to be there at pick 22, 23, 24, whatever, um, that would open them a lot up a lot more to take someone at a position that might not strike one of need. Um, 
not to say center and wing are the only two positions to be considered here. Uh, defensemen, especially on the left side, are going to be looked at very seriously, especially considering who might be available. Uh, and not to mention whether, you know, some people think it's a joke or not, goaltending might be addressed as well in the first round. So uh, lots to think about. William Eklund, uh, I think we'll be revisiting him as a prospect as well, but that is a uh, first look at his draft prospect profile. Anything else we want to cover before we jump into overtime, guys? I really want the NHL to implement the punishment that Evander Kane susp- uh, said that uh, they should give to Ryan Reeves. What's that? That instead of suspending him, they should force him, force Vegas to play him 20 minutes a night. <laughs> Not surprised, but... You know, just of course. That that's sounds the way that straight from a Reddit comment section. Yeah. I would know. I frequent them. <laughs> oh. Ryan Reeves versus Evander Kane is the best player on player rivalry we've had in the NHL in a long ass time. And I am here for it. Okay. More of it, please. We are going to move on to overtime. Uh, it is late. We've done a full live stream and now an episode. So we're going to wrap up with overtime on this episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast that is Patreon exclusive to all of our patrons who support the show. Thank you all so much. You allow us to be able to do things like live streams um, and uh, generally kind of lose our minds watching Detroit not win draft lotteries. So thank you, we think. No, seriously. Uh, we're going to start with Quaz, who says, I definitely passed out while the lottery was going on, but I guess we didn't drop relative to our standings. That is correct. It is a miracle. Josh Brink says, my hypothesis, Steve was so calm and uncaring about this lottery because he was already he's already worked it out the league that we win in 2022 to pay for sins of lotteries past. I'll choose to believe this until my crushing dis- disappointment next June. Your substituted reality, Josh, is both apt and the smart way to go about it. Did the Toronto... Uh, did- did you guys see Jim Nill's reaction? No. It was the most like, thank God this meeting's finally over. <laughs> and he just like, he made this like funny face and then just pulled his earplugs out and he like <laughs> was done. It w- Go watch it. It was, it was hilarious. Ryan, someone like you who, who goes on Zoom calls and stuff, you'll totally get it. Oh, I know the, I know the look exactly. I've actually had to stop myself from making that face before I know for sure I'm out of the meeting. Oh, we're on mute, so you don't say. Yeah, oh, fucking finally. Yep. The Sorry. best thing Go was ahead. early days of uh, of remote work when people were just like not knowing how to mute and how many toilet flushes and like people gaming and swearing in the background that I heard and screaming children everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Wild West back then. The Toronto Maple Leafs say we don't have any words and we know you don't want to hear them we understand your anger your frustration your sadness everything you're feeling we get it this isn't the ending we imagined and certainly not the one we wanted thank you for being there the entire way thank you toronto maple leafs for that original message that never gets old uh mitch rake says the brad the hashtag brad brigade would like to wish brad a solemn respectful get well soon brad the weirdos who actually like you wish you well Sorry about you guys. I appreciate it because if uh, these other two, these two idiots had their way, they'd find a way to cut my other finger just so I didn't have a usable hand. I did try to pay the doctor to uh, not use any freezing at all. But who was uh, it that wanted? Uh, was it Rowan who who said on Twitter that uh, 
They should try to sew my fingers together because I actually <laughs> laughed pretty hard at that one. That was extremely <laughs> funny. Uh, Darren uh, Ficarelli says, hey, guys, with all the picks this draft, would you prefer to double down on one position, take mostly D-men, or go for organizational depth, or spread it around and build a balanced prospect pool with the chance that they all may miss? I don't like theme drafts, and that a lot of that is just residual PTSD from the uh, Tyler Wright days. Um I think you go for the talent that's there. The Red Wings have a specific need at center and lefty. And I think you absolutely need to hit that at some point, but not in the face of overwhelming talent elsewhere. The only time I can say you can get a little cute with it is the top 10 this year, just because it's so wide open. Uh, Mike Hernelstein says, do we have something with Alex Cotton? And that's a good question. Actually, we should pay more attention to Alex Cotton and we will in future episodes as well. Yeah, my quick answer would be, I'm happy he had a good season. He exceeded my expectations. Still don't expect too much. Yeah, he, I don't know. I, I think he, like, he has exceeded my expectations, especially with, you know, winning an award at the end of the year. What was it? Player of the year? Like overall player of the year? He was the Lethbridge Hurricanes defenseman of the year. Was that what? Oh, I thought it was the entire league. I don't know how that worked. I, I read it as it was Lethbridge's top defenseman. But even at that, I think the WHL only played in their divisions and he was in a fairly weak division. So, yeah, anyway, it's kind of it's one of the arguments we're going to be having about Dylan Genther a lot where his cartoon numbers in the WHL were great, but he was also playing in a terrible division. And then his mediocre U18s didn't help, but Cotton didn't get the benefits of an international tournament to add some context. Yeah. So we'll, we'll pay more attention to that in the future, but yeah, it's definitely nothing bad, right? Like it's, it's a pleasant surprise and I would have been pretty happy to see that um, at this point, like having considered what we knew about him last year. Uh, Dave Fanto says, just joined Patreon this week. Glad to be here. Dave, thank you so much for your contributions and support to the Winged Wheel podcast and welcome to the Dub Dub family. says, I don't know if the bar is just that low, but I was ecstatic for the sixth pick. We're nothing if not consistent, I guess. Stay Fresh Cheesebag says, hey there, fellas. Six again. Big gulps. Big gulps, huh? Well, see you later. Uh, Brad, <laughs> Brad, give us all you got on Wyatt New Power, new Red Wings draft pick. Man, I knew nothing of him when I saw the announcement of the signing. So I did a bit of research. Uh, had a pretty good career uh, in the NCAA. Was captain his final year. Put up respectable but unspectacular numbers. Seems to be a, a good defense first option. Heavy shot. Uh, had a surprisingly good year in the AHL with who was it? Cleveland. Um, it, it screams AHL depth to me. I don't think there's a lot here, but he's just kind of one of those guys who's slightly exceeded expectations at every chance he's got. So here's another chance. Uh, also, how many dirty plays have there been so far in the playoffs that should have been a finer suspension? It feels like a lot. Ozzy for Hall of Fame, State Fresh Cheesebacks. A lot more than there actually have been. Uh, Ryan says, hashtag... Not saying it still from Come Rocket, which is again a crypto coin because I hate you all. Uh, says so. What Swede are we going for this time? Seems like maybe it's Eklund. 
Uh, Kyle Hashman. Looks like your comment was deleted, buddy. I'm sorry about that. Don't know why. Um, we're going to move on here. Dave says, next time Brad needs to cut off something bigger than his finger. Too bad he doesn't have anything that qualifies. <laughs> I I knew that was coming the second you got halfway through that first sentence. <laughs> TJ Nasty says, hey, Dub Dubs, we will get first overall next year. Shane Wright. Shane Wright. Say it with me. Shane Wright. I appreciate it, TJ. Uh, Evan Beckner says we have uh, we have to cut off Brad's hand next year, right? Blood alone only went so far. Yeah, we're gonna make you Jamie Lannister. That's what we have to do for the Red Wings if redemption. I a, if I get a badass metal gold hand, like I'll consider it. Best we can do is stainless steel. Is it heavy? Yeah. Will it knock Evan out if I swing hard enough? Yeah, you'd have to reach up to his head. I'm not sure you can, but yeah. I'll stand on a chair. It's fine. We're doing it. <laughs> RC Tendy says the SHL is known for playing young centers on the wing because of how responsible they want them to be defensively. We know of Valeno and Elias Pettersson. Does Eklund's game translate to playing center in the NHL? And if so, can he be? If so, I think he can be a great 2C behind Larkin. I don't think it's what's best for his skill set, but he absolutely could. Um, I feel like this would be the Robbie Fabry debate 2.0. Could he do it? Yes. Is it best for him? Probably not. So, I mean, I I still tend to think this whole center thing, like your center has to be your line driver is a touch overrated, especially in the modern NHL where a lot of guys can play Rover. I mean, look at Mark Stone in Vegas. Would If people didn't explicitly say he's a winger, would anybody know he's a winger? So... You can make it work. You just have to have the right system in place. Uh, Jake Nagy says, just here to say, uh, Stevie joking with Khan about his question in the post-lottery presser was an all-time highlight of this rebuild. Yeah, Eisman <laughs> asking Khan who the top two were and saying thanks. We'll note that was, oh my God, that was hysterical. Uh, I posted on Twitter, go look. It's genuinely worth it. Eisman's hysterical. Aaron Hudson says, yo, not dropping back was a win, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was. Yeah. Alec Kenny says, I'm choosing not to focus on the wings picking six yet again. Instead, I'm uh, going to keep riding the high. That is the Leafs choking a 3-1 series lead to the Habs. Plus, there were no egregious jumps in the lottery this year. Life isn't all bad. Um, Mike Franklin says this might be more appropriate for an offseason full segment. But what has Eisman done to embrace analytics? Is there anything public? When will we hire Prashant? Give me Kent Johnson. So I only know of. Uh, I know they hired Brandon Naruto, who was pretty prominent in the analytics community uh, when he was a freelancer. So I know he's with Detroit. I couldn't tell you the rest of their analytics department, though. The NHL is pretty cagey in terms of talking too much about their internal operations. So you have people working on analytics that you might not necessarily know about. The last time I saw any kind of serious survey, it didn't appear that the Red Wings were doing a lot, but that was also early Eisman days. So... Not a ton to speak to, but they also don't advertise too much. Like the ones you know about, you know about because they're popular. Um, And the GMs and ownership are more willing to speak about it. Uh, Vincent Saladino says, uh, for the Wings, I'm happy that they at least didn't fall and I'm not surprised they didn't win. But I have a question about lottery odds. If it is a machine with lottery balls, how are the odds determined? Like some teams have an 8.5% odds. So do they have a 1,000 balls? No, what they do is they create, I think it's like a four or five serial number, four or five digit serial number. And they assign a proportional amount of the possible combinations of those numbers to each team. 
dependent on their lottery odds. So if there's, you know, 100,000 possible permutations, for example, they'll give eight and a half percent of that to one team, blah, blah, blah. So then they draw four lottery balls um, or four or five lottery balls, however many digits it is. Uh, they showed it in a previous year. You can pretty much make the exact same machine with a shot vac and a bucket and some ping pong balls. <laughs> ah, the NHL. Uh, Cody Stark says, uh, pertaining to your last episode on uh, drafting Prashants, I mean goalies, I'm interested in the mind of a goalie scout. Uh, we talk about technical skills uh, slash side of goaltending, but as I was going to goalie camps as a kid growing up, mostly Tretiak's camps, and now as I work with Phil Lamaru and his camps, we emphasize a lot on how goaltending is 85% men- mental and 15% everything else, which is so true. For me, since I've been playing goalie for 25 years, I compare it a lot to golf. You know how to play the game, but your whole game depends on the mental capacity you have on that day uh, in the in that period for the save, for example. This can go up and down all game long, just like Evan's golf game. That's why I think the GMs and the scouts sit down. An interview with a goalie can sometimes be the most revealing part for drafting slash selection process. I mean, yeah, fair point. Evan, how much does your mental game affect your, your skill or performance in the course? Dude, I am a mental midget out there right now. At the start of the year, I could walk up to anything with my eyes closed and just rip it. And now I'm like going through the freaking mental checklist and I'm just terrible. I am just terrible right now. So, yes, it affects you a lot. Well, me, uh, anyway. Not me, who continues to put the drive straight on the driving range and straight to the right on the actual course. Um, Sam W says, have we made our highest pick of this rebuild already? I say no. I say no. I friggin' hope not. Matt S. says Groundhog Day. Oh, go ahead, Evan. I was just going to say, if if we haven't, then we're going to need some home runs. Oh, yeah. Matt S. says Groundhog Day again, picking six overall. At least the worst team got the first uh, as it should be. They should just move it to the NFL draft format. Get rid of the lottery because no one likes it. Keep up the good work, boys. I would have advocated for that in previous years, but seeing as the Red Wings won't be the worst team in the league for the next couple of years, probably. Not yet. Maybe in a little while. Uh, Ruthless and Toothless says, I normally agree with Brad. In this instant, I don't. You've mentioned that players have regressed, yet the team has improved marginally. I'll use Adina as an example. He had a lot of opportunities to score and simply couldn't bury them. Can the Red Wings play a more offensive game? Perhaps, but would there really be a point with the current roster? If the team does better, but personal stats take a hit, is that considered considered a successful season? While they don't play an offensive game, it's on the players to take the opportunity when it presents itself, not the coach. You have mentioned that it's on blast to get the player to progress. In a perfect world, you have personal stats and team performance to match, but I think you have to work with what you've got. Cheers. There's a lot of logic to what you're saying, and I fully understand your argument, but there's two key parts missing here and and this is truthfully just kind of even i have to snap myself out of it every once in a while when you're this deep into a rebuild and it's been this long since you've been good one the red wings got a lot better this year in terms of the players they brought in they brought in you know troy stetcher vlad domestnikov etc 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 so the on ice help in which blasha was getting was was better And two, yes, the Red Wings got a lot better defensively. And like I said, this could be a two-part strategy of his where this year it was just we're going to perfect defense and then next year we're going to really hammer down on the offense. Good teams do both. 
Like, if Blashill has his team really, really, really good defensively, and everybody's progressing defensively, but everybody's regressing offensively, that's still a fail. The good teams, and even the top defensive teams, generate offense. The Islanders are the poster childs for this. The most defensively stingy team in the league, but still among the league leaders in high danger scoring chances. You have to be able to do both. And right now, the Red Wings are borderline incompetent in the offensive zone, including a lot of their high-end offensive prospects, the guys like Zadina and Larkin and these guys that we need to score, that were drafted to score. Um, again, f- full tr- disclosure, like I'm aware that Zadina was a lot of bad luck and and he did have his looks, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not putting that all on Blashill, obviously. But it just, this conversation has kind of turned into one or the other, and that's not what the conversation should be. Right now, Jeff Blashill has a problem in front of him and he is solves 50% of it. So the optimist is it's barely a pass. You could argue it's barely a fail, but that's where he's at. All right. Number one, Steve Ott fan says, I can't wait for Tony to come on the pod in a few months to explain why the wings got a steal with Fabian Lysel at sixth. After he wins the Calder in 2023, you can all join me in getting matching Hakan Anderson tattoos. Gladly. (laughs) Gladly. If a Red Wings... Man, if any of the Red Wings draft pick get a Calder, you know, before 2025, happily. And, like, that player is not a first overall pick. I will happily make that my first tattoo. Oh, I was going to say, if we do get Shane Wright, buddy, you're getting that tattoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we get Shane Wright, I'm getting the tattoo before he's even drafted. Uh, last comment here is from Eleven's, uh, Eleven's. Evans Illegal 69 Degree Wedge says, congrats on the deadline pickup of Prashanth. Hopefully, once Brad clears waivers, he'll accept his assignment to the development league and work on his craft, waiting for his call up back to the big leagues. It's actually uh, Brad and I both got waived. It's going to be just uh, Evan and Prashanth on that podcast. Evan, you ready to carry that weight? I wasn't listening, but I'm pretty sure a 69 Degrees is not an illegal wedge. Has there been a more? What did he say after that? (laughs) It actually doesn't matter, believe it or not. It really doesn't. Like, that's it. That is an incredibly, that is the most on-brand response I've ever heard from you in my entire life. There Uh, is a 70-degree wedge that is considered tournament legal. It is the Hummingbird H7 wedge. It's USGA approved. You're such a loser. (laughs) No wonder you're having back surgery, man soon because my golf game is really bad all right guys uh no better time than now to wrap up this episode thank you for bearing with us as we uh grinded through uh today you can tell we're all desperately in need to sleep uh, again for all of you who tuned into the live stream thank you so very much um you can catch the live stream replay on youtube uh while you're there uh give the channel a subscribe and I don't know, I hit that bell button. I don't know if people actually like to do that, but if you do, you know, get the notification button. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. For all of you who have been leaving ratings on uh, iTunes slash Apple Podcasts especially, thank you all very much. That actually helps quite a bit. Uh, our name level Patreon patrons are our uh, top tier Patreon supporters. Arjun Shanker, uh, hi to your mom again. 
uh, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Gron Foundation, Brett Bailey, Terry, driver of Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana, Slam and Jamathong, uh, Taylor Tadgel, Brandon M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greach, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Kalen Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Ryan Say, Come Rocket, Scott Martin, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, cautiously pessimistic, fine Crisco, not betting on it, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Bingo Card, I'm skinny, it never stopped me from getting busy, I'm a freak, I like girls with the boom. I once got busy in a Burger King bathroom. Thank you, Reed, for that one. Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Mina, Josh Elton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, as good as it gets, Stan Olson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Trevor Pepivar. Thank you all so much. Cheers. We'll see you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.